Well, good morning, church. Great to be with you today. Are we on okay? Yes, awesome. Well, lockdown again. All those huggy people are all feeling deprived today, are they? Yeah, won't it be good when it's over? I can't wait to get back. Level one, I can survive that, but uh, level two is just bad. And especially if you're a pastor, eh? <laughs> I hate, hate level two, eh? Restricting crowds at, uh, at church is uh, really bad. Anyway, we're doing a series on prayers, looking at some uh, just prayers that uh, uh, have really uh, touched us, some of the great prayers in, in the Bible. And you remember prayers. You know, sometimes uh, I can remember prayers that have been prayed. Uh, many, many years ago, 30, 40 years ago, there's just something about it like just stuck in your mind. Uh, or maybe you know somebody, when they pray, and they just seem to touch heaven. You think, wow, you know, they like that person seems to really know God, just seems to uh, to touch heaven when when they pray. And uh, well, we're, we're looking at a prayer. We get into eavesdrop uh, in, in a, on a prayer to listen into the great apostle Paul as he prays for the church uh, at Ephesus, and, and what he prays, and if you look at his prayer, it's not a prayer that you would normally expect somebody uh, to be praying in this particular situation. We find that even though they lived in a real hostile society to Christianity, Paul doesn't pray that God will protect them. And uh, even though some of them may be like sick or poor, um, Paul doesn't pray for healing or he doesn't pray for financial prosperity for them, stability for them. Some of them may have been really wrestling, like maybe with sadness or hurts in, in, in their life. Paul doesn't pray for happiness for them. Uh, Paul prays for something really much deeper than normal prayers and maybe uh, much deeper than prayers that you and I would normally pray for. And uh, I, I want us just to pray this, uh, look at this prayer today and then pray this prayer really at the beginning over us today. The background to the church at Ephesus is that we read where Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, he, he comes across a, a group of believers, uh, or what he thought were believers in Jesus Christ. And But as he's talking to them, he kind of senses that there's something not quite right with this uh, little group. And so he, he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He thought, well, maybe they haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So he starts to quiz them a little bit, and they say, well, we haven't even really heard of the Holy Spirit. Mm. See, uh, Paul, there's something not quite right here. And uh, so he goes back a little bit further. He says, uh, Paul asks him, then what baptism uh, did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. Ha-ha, the light goes on. Paul realizes that these, he thought they were Christians. He thought they were believers in Jesus, but they were not. They, they were followers of John the Baptist. And so Paul, he takes them back. We find in this passage here, he takes them back. He says in Acts chapter 19 and verse 4, Paul says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. What we get out of this little picture here is for Paul teaches uh, the, uh, these what he thought were believers at Ephesus the four steps to Christian initiation. They are four steps to each one of us should know in our Christian life. The first one is repentance. Repentance is I'm, I'm living my life, I'm doing my own thing, but then I realize that I'm, I'm going in the wrong direction for my life. There's something wrong here. I, I'm not. Maybe I'm not fulfilled or Maybe I'm feeling guilty. Maybe I'm feeling like there's more. And, and so repentance is I stop going that way and I turn around. I repent. I turn around. But when I turn around, where do I turn to? 
Do I turn to Muhammad? Do I turn to Buddha? Where, where do I turn to? Uh, do I turn just try and live a good life? And, and uh, this next step is that we turn to Jesus. Um, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so repentance is the first step. We turn around and then we turn and we receive Jesus into our life as our Lord and our Savior. And then the third step is baptism water. He baptized them. And uh, baptism really is an, uh, an outward confession of what we have believed inside. And so maybe it is like salvation through the eye gate. Um, we, we get baptized in, in water. We, we confess to everyone that we have become a Christian. And so we, we take people into the water just like uh, Jesus was taken into the grave. And he was in there for three days. And so we hold him under the water for three days. And then we rise them up again to live a new life in, in, in Jesus Christ. We baptize them in water. And then Paul placed his hands on them and they were baptized, filled, immersed, empowered with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So we find that the gifts of the Holy Spirit begin to flow. Every believer, every Christian, you should know in your life, you should know these four steps in your Christian life. Every believer should know that. Have you repented? Have you turned to Jesus? Have you publicly declared your faith in Jesus and been baptized in water? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? You should know those four steps. Let's, anyway, let's go back to our, four sto uh, our story. And so Paul, he then spent two years in Ephesus here establishing the church. And so we read that where the sick were being healed, uh, demons were being cast out from people. Many Christians, they had demonic things in their home. They've been worshiping idols and so on. They took all these demonic things, these idols, and then they burnt them and they stopped buying new ones. And so the people that made all this stuff, they were going broke. Their businesses were going broke. So they got angry and, and upset about that. And, and so we read in verse 29, soon the whole city was in an uproar. They caused havoc as they changed that city. It says, now years later, and Paul's an old man in prison because of his faith, and his eyesight is failing him, and he writes to this church at Ephesus this amazing letter. The, the temple at Artemis was built in the city. It dominated the religious life in this city. It was so big that it was regarded as one of uh, the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so this group of Christians are trying to follow Jesus in the city that is... Uh, um, controlled by a demonic religion and you can see how tough it must have been for them in fact there's a great little book on the book of ephesians if you're studying the book of ephesians and in our 21 days of prayer which joy put together for us uh you will be going through ephesians there there's a great book that was written many years ago by a chinese christian called watchman Nee, and it's called sit walk stand and and so chapter one and chapter two it talks about that we are seated with christ in heavenly places Chapter 3 and 4, it says, Therefore, walk worthy of the life to which you have now been called. And chapter 5 and 6, it talks about, Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Sit, walk, and stand. It's a great description of the letter to the church at Ephesians. And so Paul, he opens this letter by praying for the church, which is what I want us to look at today. He doesn't pray for God to protect him doesn't pray for healing or financial stability. He doesn't pray for happiness for them. What Paul prays for is so much deeper than this. You would have read it the last week in your, in your prayer guide. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 16, it says this, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, 
remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power to, for us who believe. Look at those things he's praying, that they'll have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of their heart will be enlightened, uh, that they will know the hope to which he's called, the riches of this glorious inheritance, the great power that's available to us who believe. This is what we ought to be asking for. Not all the bless me. We pray little bless me prayers. And, and uh, you know, God says we, you know, they pray for a spirit of wisdom. I think some of the prayers that I've prayed in my life, I think about some of them now. I think, boy, I'm glad God didn't answer those prayers, you know. Man, I would be in big trouble, you know. Maybe some of you were praying for a particular person to be a husband or a wife. You're probably really grateful now. You meet them a number of years later, think, thank God, you know, you didn't answer that prayer for me, you know. You kept me out of trouble there, Lord, you know. And look at what he values. You know, what you values really depends uh, you know, a lot on then how you turn out. And so he says, this is what I want you to have, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, I know a little bit about hearts. I've had about four heart operations, including open heart surgery. And, and so I'm pretty sure when they opened me up, they didn't find any eyes on my heart. You know, there was nothing like that that, that was there. And so when the Bible talks about heart, it's not talking about your blood pump. It is talking about your inner spirit. It's your spirit, the inner you. You can read the words heart and spirit in the Bible. They are interchangeable uh, in the Bible. It's talking about your spirit. And so did you know that your spirit has eyes? See, your inner eyes are really important because if you don't have inner eyes, you are dependent on what other people say about you or you're dependent on what you can see with your outer eyes here. And so if other people, if if you're relying on other people to make you feel valuable or you're relying on circumstances, what you can see, you know, then you're going to be in big trouble. So Paul here, he prays there, and I'm praying that the eyes of your spirit will be enlightened, not so that you may see. You don't see with your inner eyes. What, not that you may see, but what that you may know. It's a big difference, that you may know. See, you, you, you are not blind to things because you don't have outer eyes, you, but if your inner eyes are enlightened, you know, you, everything about you may look bad, but there's an inner knowing that you have. How often do you find in Paul's letters uh, that he's writing, he's often saying the words like knowing this, knowing this, knowing this. He's often saying that. You know, there's an inner knowing about something which is not dependent on circumstances that you have around about you. Everything could be bad. Everything, COVID, the government conspiracies and all these stories that we hear, you know, uh, well, you know, it can all be bad. But you can have an inner knowing. God is in control. God is on the throne. God will make a way. God will move the mountain. God will make it happen. You know, it doesn't matter what you see with your outer eyes. There's an inner knowing that you can have. And that's what matters. See, if you, if you don't perceive something correctly, then you're destined to repeat it all the time. You can, you, you're you going to react the wrong way uh, about it. Some translations put it this way. It says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. See, understanding is the truth that you stand under. See, and if, if, if what you're standing under isn't true, then that means that you're standing under a lie. You, you, you could st- be standing under a lie. You're living your life standing under a lie about yourself. 
you, you don't perceive in yourself correctly. Or you could be uh, standing under a lie about another person or another situation. The Bible says that we shouldn't take someone else's offense because you're only, you hear one story. Someone comes and tells you a story. You get all angry about that situation. But you've only heard one side of the story. You haven't heard the other side. You haven't seen talk to the other person. You don't know their motivation, their thinking or anything like that. And so you could be standing under a lie about that. So if you went through something incorrectly, didn't understand it correctly, didn't understand it well, you could be standing under a lie. The great example of this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, the person who wrote this letter, in his early life, he was persecuting Christians. He thought he was pleasing God by persecuting Christians. He was standing under a lie. And uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 9, we read it of his early life there. It says, Meanwhile, Saul, who later became Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the early Christians were called people of the way, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said, whether men or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? His understanding about Jesus was not true. He says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. So Saul, who later became Paul, he starts out. He's going with letters from Jerusalem to go down to Damascus to find anyone that's a Christian, man or woman, put them in chains, bring them back to Jerusalem, and possibly then to kill them. And he had a group of men there to help him. He was so blind on the inside that he thought that he was doing God a service by killing God's people. That's how wrong we can be. See, when you're blind on the inside, you you can call right wrong and you can call wrong right. We see this happening all the time. We see governments passing legislation, calling something that is wrong right because of their own understanding, what they stand under. And and so Paul, although he could see on the outside, he couldn't really see on the inside. He's walking in this one-dimensional light until he comes across a greater light than the light that he could see on the outside. This greater light was an encounter with Jesus. And this light shines on him. See, we we can be walking in, in a light of our understanding. Death is probably a good example. We think death, death is the end. Death is final. Death is horrible. And it's so, you know, it's so bad. And yet the Bible says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Bible says that death is just a shadow. If there's a shadow, there's a greater light that causes that shadow. And so there is a greater light. There is a, there is a greater understanding that death is bad. That death is also means that we spend eternity with Christ. There's a greater, greater light there. And so in life, you can find it. It can be a blessing. God comes and sabotages your mission. You're trying to do something, and God comes along and aborts your plan. He interrupts what you're trying to do. God can be doing you a favor. Failure can be a favor. 
you can you can just go and try. Well, I'm just going to push the door open and I'm going to make it happen. And you're far better to walk through an open door that God sets before you that no man can, can shut. And sometimes, like Paul, God has to knock us off our beast, get onto the ground, so that we get up onto our feet and understand something greater. You know, my great plan in life, I was going to build my own business. That's what I was doing until my biggest customer went bankrupt. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. It changed the course of my life. God wasn't calling me to be a businessman. He was calling me to be a pastor. And so Paul here, he's lying on the ground and he says, who is it? And the voice speaks out of the light and says, it's Jesus who you persecute. And he comes down and, and, and you can tell when somebody has been exposed to a, a greater life because his attitude was, I'm going down to kill Christians. His attitude now on the revelation of Jesus was, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? See, humility is a sign of conversion. When you see somebody who's not humble, then they haven't, they haven't been converted. Humility is a sign that, that you've encountered something bigger than you. Yeah, yeah. Humility means that God has sent a brighter light to you that you recognize that what you were walking in was wrong and it's brought you to your knees. You've had a revelation of something greater. And when he got up, he couldn't even see his own men. He couldn't physically see him. What happened to Paul was that, that he, this Paul who, was, who could see on the outside and was blind on the inside now gets up and he's blind on the outside, but he can see on the inside. He's had a revelation. Isn't that good? Now he walks and these men that he was leading are now leading him. He'd lost sight of the world. His, this this the light was so strong that came into his life. This man who couldn't even find his way to Damascus became the greatest Christian of all of history, who wrote the bulk of the New Testament. He became the most influential Christian in history. In a sense, he said, I'm willing to give up the light I had so that I can receive the light that I needed on the inside. And so now he's an old man and he's in jail. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. And you, you would kind of think he would be a little bit bitter as eyesight's going. And, and there's even the suggestion that he never fully recovered his eyesight from that experience that he had on the Damascus Road. And he's at the end of his life. But he doesn't regret the exchange. He's not wishing for his eyes back, but he's praying to them. I pray that the eyes of your spirit may be enlightened. He's saying what you see on the inside is far more important than what you can see on the outside. He's saying, I've got these men that, 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 that were, I was leading them, but after my encounter with Jesus, they're having to lead men. But these, these men that are leading me, the truth is that I can see better than what they can see. See, my spiritual eyes have been opened. It's birthed my ministry. It started my career. caused me to be the primary writer of the contributor of the New Testament. He writes with poor eyesight on the outside, but he's enlightened on the inside. And so he writes to them. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people is an incomparably great power for us who believe. He's saying that I'm praying that the eyes of your spirit will be enlightened so that you will know these three things that you may know the hope to which he has called you, that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
what he's really praying here is he's, he's praying, God, what do you know about me? This hope to which you have called me, God, what do you know about me? God, what do you have for me? It's glorious riches of this, the, the riches of this glorious inheritance. What do you have for me? God, what do you want to do for, through me? This great power you're talking about, what do you want me to use this power for? What do you want to do through, through me? He, he, he says the answer to these three questions is better than your eyesight. The answer to these three questions is better than your eyesight. He says, God, what do you know about me? What do you know about me? Out of the billions of people that inhabit this earth, who am I? Why am I here? What, what is the reason that, that, that I exist? And, and so Paul, he opens this letter by saying to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 1 verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God, our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he goes, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He begins by reminding us, even though there are billions of people on this earth, God chose you. God chose me before the creation of this world. We're not an accident. We're here for a purpose. There's a reason. God has predestined us for his good purposes, is what he's saying here. See, what God knows about you, that leads you to the most important question uh, in life is to ask God, what must I do? What must I do? Our call by our Heavenly Father, he's destined us to be sons. You know, we have redemption and forgiveness of our sins, the opening up of the eyes to the plan of God, the, the sealing of our spirit, the enlightenment of our spirit in our hearts and lives, the guarantee that one day we're going to go to heaven, going to inherit all of God, that God has provided for us. You know, for this reason, Paul says, he prays for the saints at Ephesus and others who read this letter, that we will understand these truths. And then he says, what does God know about me? What does God have for me? They had love for each other, it says. They had faith in the Lord. But Paul reminds me, reminds the people here that God has an inheritance for them. He's praying that they will have hope. See, because they were Christians, they lived in a pagan culture and they were really struggling. They would have struggled to get employment. They would have struggled to start businesses. They would have struggled to have acceptance in the community uh, there. If you've come from a country where Christianity is in a minority, where Christianity, uh, Christians are persecuted, you will understand what Paul is writing here in this passage. It costs these believers to be Christians. And so Paul talks to them. Look, it's tough now, but there's an inheritance out there. God's got an inheritance for you. Maybe some of you have had an inheritance, or maybe some of you come from a really wealthy family, and, and one day you're going to get an inheritance, and you're really looking well. You're not hoping that whoever's going to give it to you is going to die, but you know, you're really looking forward to the day when you get that inheritance. I, I am really, really confident that I was switched at birth. The poor parents that I ended up with, I'm sure they're not my real parents, you know. My father didn't even own a car, you know, like, I'm number five boy in the line, you know. By the time I got the clothes, you know, we didn't wear them like that, man. By the time we got them, they, they had big patches all over them, you know. <laughs> it's like, I'm sure that I got switched to birth somewhere along the line. But God has an inheritance for us. See, this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. And not only has God got an inheritance for us, but we have an inheritance for him. He wants to spend eternity with us. Amazing. 
then what does God want to do through me? That's the hope of this calling. God, what do you want from me? How can I know I'm pleasing you? God, what, how, how can I know that I'm, I'm living a life that is pleasing for you? How can I, how can I know, God, that, that the way I'm living my life puts a smile on your face? Lord, I want, I want to live my life. If you, if you called me before the foundations of the earth, and you've got a plan for my life, God, I want to know that I'm in that plan, that I'm pleasing you. God, what do you want to do through me? You know, we have available to us far more than we realize. Paul prays that they will know the resurrection power of God working in them. The resurrection power of God can change broken lives. The resurrection power of God can heal sick bodies. The resurrection power of God can set oppressed people free. The resurrection power of God can move mountains that are there in our lives. The resurrection power of God raised Jesus from the dead and one day will raise us from the dead also to be with him. See if the Heavenly Father's power can raise Jesus from the dead. Is there anything that he can't do? See, you can have that power in your life. You've confessed your sins. If you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your life as your Lord and your Saviour, you can receive that resurrection power in your life also to fulfill the purpose, the plan that God has got for you. So Paul's teaching us in this passage here that insight is far more important in our lives than eyesight. You can go to the eye doctor and every now and again we have to go to the eye doctor and I probably should go to specs, David, but I'm too tight at the moment. So I'm, I'm trying to squeeze a few more dollars out of these old glasses here. But, but we go every now and again, we go along to the eye specialist and, and they check our eyes and, and we find that our eyes possibly have changed a bit or deteriorated a bit and, and we need to get some new glasses. You know, there's been some adjustment in our, in our eyes. Let me suggest to you, if you keep going through the same stuff year after year, you're, you're 30 years old and you're still making the mistakes in life that you're making at 15 and in 20, maybe you need to go and get your spiritual eyes checked. Get your eyesight checked. You keep repeating the same bad behavior, keep repeating the same mistakes, then you don't appreciate what God has put into your life. See, if you, if you don't know the value of your worth, if you kind of think, oh, you know, I'm not important and I'm nothing and uh, I don't really matter, you, know, you don't understand the value of your worth. You don't understand that God called you before the creation of this. If you don't have an understanding really of what God wants to do through you by the power of his Holy Spirit, you need to get your inner eyes checked. Maybe you can see okay with your outside eyes, but you're blind on your inside eyes. You're spiritually blind. And I, I'd like just this morning just that we pray this prayer over us and that we take it as our prayer. Let's all stand, shall we, together. And, you know, it's a couple of thousand years since this prayer uh, was written, but Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, spoke to the church at Ephesus, and Paul, by the Holy Spirit, speaks to us today as we come and gather here this morning. Let's make this prayer a prayer that Paul prays also, that we pray for ourselves uh, today. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I ask that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. I pray that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people, and your incomparable great power for us who believe. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.